This is Dane Holstrom, Divorce Authority. We're going to be talking about a lot of different subjects in family law. There are some important items that I'm required to share with you so that you understand the limited purpose of my going over all of this information with you. No matter what the specific topic, it's very important for you to understand that this information is not intended as legal advice for any specific person or any specific type or actual case. My sharing this information with you is not designed to create an attorney-client relationship. Everybody's case is different and nobody's results are the same. Just because we may discuss what happened in some other client's case that may in fact sound similar to yours or some other situation does not suggest that your case or the results would be the same or even similar. The discussion of specific cases are fictionalized and may not be real clients or cases. The purpose of these podcasts is to help you understand the framework of how these issues are decided, provide you a better understanding of the process, and hopefully give you insight as to how you might prepare and conduct yourself and your case to get a better result. There is absolutely no substitute for a consultation or hiring a competent, trained family law attorney. And I encourage you to seek out such an attorney as soon as practical in your case. Divorce Authority is a brand and registered trademark of Holstrom Block & Park, a professional law corporation. I've been practicing family law for 30 years. I've been certified by the state of California as a family law specialist. So I know a thing or two about divorce. I'm Dane Holstrom, and I am the Divorce Authority. Today, we're going to talk about co-parenting. What is co-parenting? Well, to state the obvious, it's a relationship between people who share parenting responsibilities for children. It encompasses communication, cooperation, decision-making, conflict resolution. It is obviously the parents coming out of a divorce or parents who had a child outside of marriage, whatever relationship. To some degree, it will also include others who may be involved in raising the children. Even for an intact family, nuclear or otherwise, co-parenting, which simply means parents working together for the best interest of their child or children, and therefore each parent's mutual self-interest is fraught with challenges. These challenges include different parenting styles, different belief systems, different personal priorities, and simple disagreements, which can be either good faith rational disagreements or irrational bad faith disagreements. Putting these challenges in the context of a family law case can be the ultimate challenge and can also be the ultimate benefit for your child. Simply put, even an intact family is going to have challenges deciding what little Johnny or little Susie should do. Take that and split them into two homes and it complicates it even more. In my experience, there are three categories of co-parenting successes and or failures to succeed. The first is the parents who understand key points from the outset of the separation that these two parents will always be joined by their common children and their common desire for their children to flourish. This, this issue and this commonality transcends and survives whatever relationship the parents had that is now ending, whether it's divorce, ending a marriage, unmarried partner splitting up, etc. The second category are parents that may not leave a relationship already possessing that understanding, but with education and most importantly, a desire to understand the complexities of co-parenting and a desire to be a better parent, which necessarily means being a better co-parent, they grow into that understanding. 
And of course, you guessed the last category. The parents that don't get it, don't want to get it, and will never get it. These are people who are simply unable to subjugate their own needs when making decisions relating to their children. These are people who are often bitter, emotionally hurt, untrusting, and many other traits that accompany the breakup of a relationship. It is all too easy and all too common that people fall into the trap of he, she hurt me and they everything they look at, especially as it relates to the children that are a product of that relationship, is viewed through that prism. It is extremely critical to differentiate here the circumstances involving victims of domestic violence. In a case involving domestic violence, the law makes it clear that the ability to co-parent sometimes has to give way, to some degree, to the personal safety of a victim of domestic violence and the understanding as a society that the best interests of a child are not necessarily found in forcing co-parenting in such a situation. Often the victim of domestic violence may well defer to the perpetrator of domestic violence simply to avoid further violence. Moreover, coercive control, a type of conduct encompassed within domestic violence, often results in the perpetrator of domestic violence dictating in the face of a disagreement rather than any real meaningful attempt at discussion or compromise. For this reason, the state of California has adopted Family Code Section 3044, which provides that there is a presumption that joint legal decision-making, that is, for a child, or physical custody, sharing the child equally, is not appropriate where the court has made a finding of domestic violence between the parents of a child. I should also separate out those who are so angry, hurt, untrusting, etc., whether rationally based or irrationally based, they seek to disagree with everything the other parent wants or suggests. When rationally based, this often comes from a case of domestic violence. And when irrationally based, it often comes from some form of mental disease or defect. Now, these are not overgeneralizations. These are experiences of 30 years of doing this. The rest of this talk will be about parents who are not perpetrators or victims of domestic violence, whose conduct so infringes upon co-parenting, but parents who can, in fact, transcend those problems of communication and problem resolution and reach that Shangri-La of co-parenting that is everybody's goal. A second integral part of co-parenting is that which we each independently prioritize what we perceive to be the best interests of our children. In other words, what's best for our kids is at the top of our decision-making tree, not the last thing we think about, the first thing we think about. The ultimate realization is that, by and large, what is good for the other parent is most often also good for our child, and therefore, it's good for me. This is a hard place to get to sometimes, but people who get it, get it. While something may in fact infer a benefit on one parent while imposing a detriment on the other, that's always part of the equation. Somebody's going to give, somebody's going to take. The idea is putting your child first. The key is the ability and willingness to make reasonable sacrifices for the benefit of your children and their long-term well-being. The ultimate co-parenting relationship can be found in parents that put the needs of their children above their own personal needs. There are certain dynamics where co-parenting can thrive, and there are certain situations where it can be very difficult. 
to achieve successful co-parenting. There are many opportunities for conflict between co-parents. I'll go through some of the more common ones. The list is literally inexhaustible. Sometimes these opportunities for conflicts arise in common situation, and sometimes they arise from the fact that we are simply human and imperfect. Starting off the concept of how we as a society resolve custody situations, whether it's a divorce or a paternity case, in both cases we're going to have to have an adversarial proceeding in court over how we're going to share our time with the children, also called physical custody, and how we're going to make decisions for our children, called legal custody. Then if we disagree, we have to go to court to fight over that, then we fight over child support, then when we fight over who pays for attorney's fees for the other parent, in a divorce, we have all those, plus we get to fight over property and debts and who pays for what, etc. What I'm talking about is the adversarial nature of our court system. So we have a process that's designed to be part of a resolution that is adversarial at its core, which preaches that people should be non-adversarial. It is counterintuitive. And many people are trying to find a way to change the system by making child custody proceedings less adversarial. In fact, many courts have what's called recommending mediation to try to take the courtroom out of the child custody as much as people can. When parties are able to amicably resolve all of their issues of a divorce or a termination of a relationship, there are common situations that still come up to create an opportunity for conflict. One of the more common situations that create conflict is the involvement of one of the parents in a new relationship. This is, of course, exacerbated when a new relationship began prior to the end of the old one. You know what I'm talking about. It makes it very difficult for someone to put aside hurt feelings and thoughts of marital infidelity, which by definition means untrustworthiness in a marital relationship. However, the courts say untrustworthiness in a marital relationship is not the same as being untrustworthy in a parenting relationship. And it is also common sense, but it's hard for a lot of people to grasp. A simplification of the analysis of this, does the fact that he, she cheated on me make him or her a bad parent? In the court's eyes, the answer is a resounding no. Indeed, courts truly do not want to hear about marital infidelity in the context of a custody determination. While there may be unique exceptions, generally these are brought up only to disparage the other parent. Bringing up such issues only does nothing more than illustrate the inability of the non-cheating parent to prioritize the needs of their children above their own personal need for retribution or simply being hurt. In a non-cheating situation, there is often still a great deal of emotional content surrounding the former relationship. Indeed, may have been around for a very long relationship, which would often have a number of peaks and valleys within it that have accomplished that have covered long periods of time. When the relationship ends, one party may seek a new relationship. In fact, both may do so. The irony is that I have seen is that the fact that one parent may have moved on with another person, and yet the other one has not, or even if the other one has. There is no quid pro quo. So if father is in a new relationship and has been for years, mother may now still be jealous when father gets into that relationship, or vice versa. And those kind of personal insecurities create an opportunity for conflict in a co-parenting relationship. Aside from issues of personal insecurity, jealousy, and other human frailties, there may be more serious issues. 
There may be an actual or alleged abuse of a child by a new significant other, or another acting in a role as a parent that is objected to by a real, quote unquote, parent. The other co-parent may see their parenting challenged by another who has in their mind no business being involved or no business being involved in the communication. Sometimes one parent delegates the communication required for co-parenting to their new spouse. I've also seen occasions where a new significant other is feeling insecure. The new significant other starts projecting concerns they have about the former romantic relationship that their new partner has had for years and therefore driving a wedge between the former father, or actual father and mother, in their ability to communicate. I've often seen a new significant other bending the ear of their new partner, explaining all of the evils of their custody agreement or their divorce agreement. Why do you allow him, her, he, she to get away with this? Why do you pay so much, so little, etc., etc.? And those create more conflict in the co-parenting relationship. It is really important as co-parents that you take the lead. It's also really important that with a new relationship that you establish boundaries with your new partner about how your children are going to be parented. There are other situations where in fact a new significant other can actually be a support person. I have absolutely seen new significant others come into the situation to de-escalate conflict between co-parents and to help their new partner to be a better co-parent because perhaps they've done the same thing in their own situation. I personally grew up in what I call a dysfunctional Brady Bunch. In my father's second marriage, his new wife brought a young child, younger than all of us, myself, my siblings, and they had another infant during that marriage for their four-year-long relationship. In my father's next marriage, my second stepmother brought in three boys of varying ages that were interspersed amongst myself and my siblings. This bizarre dynamic created so many opportunities for conflict, most of which occurred, uh, that created lots and lots of problems. And if you throw into the mix the fact that, that uh, my mother was an alcoholic and my father had his own issues, it was, and of course each of the other separated families had issues, it was just a, a, a made-for-TV made for movie. In my practice, I obviously see these conflicts from another perspective, but not without the lens that my life experience has brought me. Okay, so what are some of the other conflicts? Well, the most common one, the most common one comes from scheduling. One parent has their children on even weekends and their new significant other has their children from their divorce on odd weekends. Oh my God, then we have vacation conflicts. Then we have school enrollment problems. And then we have homework and soccer cleats and backpacks and math books and tennis shoes and all of these issues that come up. There are so many opportunities where people can get blow up on the other parent or refuse to cooperate or they can choose to say you know what what is most important is that my child is happy there can be financial conflicts well there's always a situation with financial issues we have child support spouse support that may be in play and while I absolutely support those systems and they're very important I also want every parent to understand that they have a choice they have an ability to say you know what um, you're paying me too much money, I'd rather you keep some of it. I know that may sound like not ever going to happen, but it does. Or, you know what, that's not enough for you to have a house to live across the street from me so that little Johnny or Susie can be very comfortable. 
so I'm going to pay you a little more, okay? Those are the kind of decisions that I applaud parents for making. Part of our job is to tell you exactly what your rights are, but also to allow you to, to make decisions that you believe are best for your children. And if that deviate from what society or public policy says you should get, that's your choice. And I applaud you making that choice. Other conflicts. There may be cultural conflicts sometimes created by the new relationship. And it's less common because they usually don't cross over into parenting, but they can. Goodness, uh, religious uh, challenges, cultural differences. Uh, one of the co-parents is in a same-sex relationship. Uh, and the marriage, of course, was not, or may not have been. One Catholic parent converted to Judaism or married a Protestant. Oh my God, the wife's new husband is a Democrat or Republican, choose your poison. All of these may change the way that we view the other parent or the other parent in their relationship is engaged in the co-parenting. We as people always change and evolve, but we are always the parents of our children. That never changes. And I want everybody to think about your small children's wedding day. Are you going to be able to be in the same church to celebrate that for your children? Are you going to be able to be to the high school graduation, the college graduation, the professional graduation, and both hug and support your children in the same environment? That's what you look for. I touched upon the everyday conflicts. The act of parenting, even without a separation I alluded to earlier, creates opportunities for co-parenting breakdowns. Uh, the kids doing their homework, forgetting their lunch at school, staying up late, getting sick, etc. Unexplained injuries. Little child comes home with a bruise on their knee. Some parents immediately go to accusatory mode. What did you do to him? Oh my God, you're a negligent parent. Things like that. Kids fall. Kids get bruises. I again, I'm not, I'm not advocating against or for. I'm sorry, child abuse or anything like that. Yes, be prudent. Yes. Inquire, but inquire reasonably. Hey, I noticed that little Johnny came home with a bruise on his knee. Did something happen? As opposed to the reverse, which we often see is what I just said. What did you do? You're a horrible parent, yada, yada, yada. That's the issue of communication. So you can communicate your message in a reasonable, rational way without elevating the hostility between you and your co-parent. What can you do to be a better co-parent? What should you not do in a co-parenting relationship? So here's a summary of some of the do's and the don'ts. So do put your children's interest first always. Do communicate about your co-parent in front of your children or where they can hear respectfully. It demonstrates to your children that you respect and support your co-parent. Create consistency wherever you can. Make going between the houses a positive experience and not traumatic or negative. Do frame requests to your co-parent as requests, not as demands, orders, or instructions. Do keep your communication with your co-parent related to the children. Don't get into each other's personal lives. It escalates the possibility and probability of a conflict. Some of the greatest successes that I have seen are people who have a friendly relationship with their ex-spouses. It is a very positive, but I admit, unique relationship. And I'm going to talk about one of them at the very end of this episode that I commend you read their book. There are widely available resources such as self-help websites, geared towards co-parenting, your own therapist, and especially I encourage a joint communication methodology 
There are apps out there, uh, one called Our Family Wizard, one called Talking Parents, and there's a variety of other new innovations. And what they do is create a forum. It's sort of like texting, but with a little more value to you. One of them even has the ability, and I'll let you figure it out, find out which one you like, has the ability to give you a clue if their tone of your communication is escalating or becoming inflammatory and may suggest a way to rephrase it, kind of like I just did for you. So that app is very, very powerful. And the other thing that's going to help is when we talk about the irrational behavior. Okay, I know there's some of you that are telling me that that you're the reasonable one. You're the rational one. You're doing everything that I'm suggesting right now. And the other side will not, cannot ever be rational, ever co-parent, etc. Well, as they say, you can't fix crazy. All you can do is document it. So once again, these apps and other methodologies, that's exactly how you prepare your court case when you're trying to demonstrate to the court what's going on. In that situation where litigation is inevitable and you have to prepare for it, having your rational, reasonable communication, suggesting resolutions, inviting contributions, goes a long, long way when the other side simply responds with vitriol and poison and allegations and accusations and discusses infidelity and all kinds of horrible stuff, that's going to really go a long way the court deciding, hey, you know what, maybe a shared relationship with this child really isn't best until the other parent can get a grip on their own emotions and think about what's best for the child. A couple more do's. Listen to the other parent's position about a matter before responding. Do document any changes to your custody or your child sharing arrangement. Doesn't that be complicated? It can be on one of these forums or a text message that says, hey, we agreed we're picking up, that I'm picking up Johnny at three o'clock instead of two o'clock. Hey, we agreed we're changing weekends. You're getting this weekend from this date and time, and I'm getting this weekend from this date and time. You just, it avoids misunderstanding, it avoids ambig ambiguities, it avoids another opportunity for a conflict. Do share information, whether it's in an email, from a teacher, or a school notification, even if you think the other parent got it, okay? It's not because you're doing something for them, you're doing something for your child. You're sharing information, positive or negative, okay, about the child, child's discipline issues, medical issues. Share the information. That demonstrates by itself to the other parent that you value their role in the child's life as their parent. You can only take care of what you can take care of. In the words of Dr. Barbara Crook, a wonderful family therapist of my acquaintance, take responsibility for your side of the street. Get help with counseling and additional insight to make yourself a better co-parent and a better human being while you're at it. This includes separating your feelings from your behavior. Do pick your battles. Decide if this is the hill you want to die on. Usually it's not. Here's your don'ts. First off, take every do I gave you and reverse it. <laughs> okay? Don't do the opposite. But here's some don'ts. Don't use your children as a messenger to convey communications between the parents. Just don't ever do it. Not I'll pick it up at 3 o'clock. Not I need a dollar for lunch. Nothing. Just don't do it. Okay? Do not ask questions in an accusatory manner. Do not create an environment where the child is compelled to choose a parent. This is the most common situation in divorce I see. These children train themselves through a survival mode to function as two different human beings in two different homes. 
and it really is not a healthy thing for kids to have to do. Do not make unilateral decisions and expect the other parent to accept that without input. Do not be unreasonable in response to a reasonable request. Just because it's not something that you would do doesn't mean the other parent shouldn't do it. Each parent is a unique human being and has a different contribution to your child. Custody location and co-parenting, it goes without saying, but I must say it anyway. What's good for your children is often also good for your court case. I want you to imagine you're the judge and you're trying to decide if these parents have the ability, looking at it through the prism of the best interest of the children, to share their children effectively. Am I going to do a 50-50, a week on, week off, a 2-2-3, whatever it is? What am I going to do? Well, is this going to be successful for the children when, among other things, the parents are in, the best thing is, close geographic proximity. That's huge. They can go to the same school, go back and forth, have same friends, etc. They have high communication. They're able to talk to each other without blowing up. And they have low conflict. That's, those three are really the key elements of being able to co-parent. And the reverse High conflict, low communication, or far geography makes it much harder to co-parent. For example, communication starts with one parent saying, Hi, I just picked up Johnny at the house, and I discovered that he forgot his homework. Is there a way that I can get him from you? Response. That's your fault for not checking it. And by the way, make sure he does his homework at your house before he even comes over here. You're just lazy. That may sound like it's ridiculous, but that's often what occurs. And I want you to understand that a judge seeing that sees it exactly the way it sounds and says, you know what? This is not going to work. We can't have Johnny in the middle of this conflict. We need to pick a parent who's going to have Johnny the majority of the time. And right now, it's going to be the rational, reasonable one. It's not going to be the one who's accusatory and not putting Johnny's needs first. For a truly powerful example of a positive, not only co-parenting, but a blended family co-parenting relationship, I encourage you to read the book um, or go to the website called Our Happy Divorce. This book was co-written by Nikki DiBartolo and Ben Heldfond. I had the tremendous op opportunity and pleasure to have Ben as a guest on a webinar that I participated in on this very subject. And he shared from a personal perspective, a very real time and real issue relative to what's going on even today after writing this book and having this great success in co-parenting their children. He pointed out that even to this day, while he loves the fact that his son comes to him and speaks with excitement and enthusiasm that he's going fishing with his stepfather. And Ben was candid and self-aware enough to realize that, hey, that hit me like a gut punch that my son was uh, being affectionate to another person in a parental role. But at the same time, it gives me joy to know and understand that my son is truly loved by more people. And that's, again, the ultimate goal for our kids. So I hope that uh, you found some benefit in today's podcast, talking about co-parenting. I realize I did not talk about a lot about litigation tactics. This is really way more about becoming aware of a co-parenting role and what you can do to make your child life better. I get there's always limitations based on the other sides being willing to work as well. But remember, in the words of Dr. Crook, take care of your side of the street. 
thank you for investing your time in this episode. I hope you found this information helpful. If you'd like more information, you can download our ebook, Divorce 101, on our website, divorceauthority.com. You can also follow me on social media at Divorce Authority. I'm Dane Holstrom, and when I do becomes I don't, turn to Divorce Authority.